is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Kaylee Milner, who plays in a Sydney band, Loose Fit, uh, as well as running a knitwear label called Wawa, um, who makes designs with bands and artists. Kayleen, thank you so much for joining us today on Women Who Rock. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matthew. Not a problem. I'd like to start by talking about your music with Loose Fit. Yeah, I'm interested to hear about, I understand that Loose Fit was kind of born out of um, meeting someone at fashion school. So can you tell us about how that came to be and the genesis of the band? (laughs) Yeah, so Anna, the singer, and myself both went to uh, the fashion design studio, um, part of TAFE New South Wales. Um, So we were studying fashion design and we were friends then, but uh, probably became closer once we graduated because going to fashion school so all-consuming that uh, you sort of forget that each other have interests outside of that. Um, but we were sort of aware that each other had an interest in music and, you know, some like the sort of music that maybe our other friends that we were studying with didn't really have an interest in. Um, so, we, yeah, we sort of had an appreciation for each other's tastes, but it wasn't until after we graduated that, Um, we started hanging out more and talking about music and sharing our interests. And for ages we talked about forming a band together, but it was kind of just like a a bit of an ongoing joke because we didn't think it would actually happen. So, yeah, that's where we met and where we first sort of started thinking about making some music together. Yeah, the, the very first few sessions of us trying to make music was very fun and very funny. Um. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, I'm very new to drums. In fact, I didn't even think about playing drums in that first session. We literally booked a rehearsal room. We'd never been to one before. Wow. Um, (laughs) It was just a struggle trying to find the place and get in there. Um, But my brother had given me a bunch of synthesizers and drum machines and a really old archaic, um, it's like a 16-track recording desk that, only exports onto CD-ROM. I'd never used any of this equipment, um, but I figured we'd just, you know, figure it out as we go. Yeah, so we got in there and had no idea what we were going to make and nothing was working. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to salvage this session in the rehearsal room. We can't pay for three hours of rehearsal space and not come out with anything. So I, um, I just recently taught myself how to use Ableton, so I quickly banged out a tune on that and we did an electronic music cover of um, by Chris Isaac, uh, his song uh, Wicked Games. Um, so, yeah, we, we had no way of exporting the music. Um, I couldn't even – I could transfer it onto CD, but I couldn't find a computer old enough that could read that CD, so – we ended up just exporting the audio and we've got a copy of it somewhere, but it's actually pretty fun. And it was just so cool to think that we could go in, create something together in a few hours and really enjoy it. And we just danced to that track all night afterwards. (laughs) So that was like our first session of making music. And then we didn't do anything for ages. 
Um, and then my partner Max and I, we also wanted to form a band and we also went into a, uh, just like a rehearsal studio and we were playing around and I was playing trumpet and synthesizer and that was fun but then like it wasn't getting the sound that I wanted. I, like I felt like we weren't coming up with any good ideas so I jumped on the drum kit um, not knowing how to play it but just sort of picked it up and um, then we decided, oh, we need a singer and a bass player and that's sort of how Loose Fit formed. So Anna and I had always wanted to do something together so it made sense to ask her and then we asked my friend Richard Martin to play bass and, yeah, so that's the long-winded story of how Loose Fit came to be. It sounds like you started with a real blank canvas. Oh, right. totally. Like we knew what music we liked but we didn't necessarily – play the instruments or know how to produce those sounds and the music we wanted to make. So um, for Anna, like playing in a band was a totally new experience. I had played in bands but only ever played trumpet. So then to just sit down at a drum kit and be playing rhythms and not thinking about single line melodies was a totally new thing for me. Mm. Well, it, it seems like, I mean, it's come pretty far since that first recording or the first uh rehearsal space that you booked you released an ep in 2018 which is great i've been listening to it all day i um i also noticed that on bandcamp the so the to buy it it's in, in british pounds and then i realized um it was because it's uh the vinyl is put out through that uh, fat cat records in the uk which actually seems to be a pretty prominent label how did that collaboration come about yeah that was pretty wild because I mean, you've probably already got the impression like we just started this band to have some fun and to make some noise. Um, and the first EP, we actually wrote and recorded that in like the first four or five months of forming the band. So when we recorded that, I was, I'd only been playing drums for like five, six months. And so, yeah, so we released it on tape and we thought, oh, that's cool. The tape sold out. That was a fun thing. Um, and then didn't really think any more of it and then probably a year later um Alex from Fat Cat got in touch with us by email he said he discovered the recording on Bandcamp right um, we're like oh here's this Fat Cat records and then we looked up some of the releases they'd done and we're like oh wow they're a legit label um yeah for sure the website is amazing <laughs> they've got so many artists and yeah they've done some like really amazing releases over the years um, and like a really diverse um, range of artists as well, which we all thought was kind of cool rather than just one sort of niche sound. Yeah, so they wanted to re-release the EP on vinyl. So we're like, well, might as well, nothing to lose. Um, so that's how that came about. Which sounds like an expensive exercise. Well, I mean, you mean for the label or for the band? I, well, for them, I guess, if they were the one that did all the pressing. Yeah, well, I, I guess so. Like we're not really on top of that side of things. That's one of the loveliest things about having a label take an interest in you. Like that sort of stuff you'd have to think about as a small independent band sort of taken care of. Yeah, that's so cool Maybe that it was there. <laughs> I, I'm such a big advocate of Bandcamp. Uh, I really love it. So it's cool to hear that they um, <laughs> that that facilitated that whole relationship. Yeah, it's it's amazing that they came across us because, I mean, we're just a little band from Sydney and you just, when you're playing gigs only locally in Sydney, you sort of forget that there's, 
you know, a whole wide world potentially listening to you, whether they actually were or uh, Fat Cat just did a really deep dive into Bandcamp. So that was the EP in 2018, and I would like to take a, tr- a track from that now. Um, the track I'd like for us to listen to is called Black Water. It's the one that you did your dance-based music video. So let's listen to Black Water by Loose Fit. just heard was called Blackwater by Loose Fit. 
off the 2018 EP. Uh, but I understand, uh, Kayleen, that Loose Fit has been working on some new tunes. Can you give us a bit of a hot tip about what's been happening in the Loose Fit camp recently? We have. We were working really hard at uh, writing new songs before lockdown and we managed to record like 12 new songs and then obviously it came to a standstill. But I think it was a, oh, I don't want to say a blessing because the, you know, that's that's a terrible thing to say in, during a pandemic, but the, the downtime was a blessing um, because we decided, you know, there was only about seven of those tracks that we really thought were good. So we got back into the studio a few months ago and recorded some new tracks. So we've we've finished a, a new album. Great. So you went through a bit of a post-COVID uh, refining process. Yeah. Um, like it gave us a chance to really listen to the tracks that we had done and sort of see what we felt was missing and then um, wrote a few others that I think are possibly like the strongest songs on the album. Maybe I'm just saying that because they're the, the freshest ones to our ears. But um, yeah, really excited for that to come out. Sure. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for more loose fit uh, music in 2021. I also, the thing is that loose fit is kind of like half of what I wanted to talk to you about because you have this really cool knitwear label uh, called Wawa. So I had was looking at the site, the website just before, and this is like a really amazing. I guess you, you say knitwear, not sweaters. Are they sweaters? They're knitted sweaters, yeah. Knitted sweaters with a really interesting concept. So it seems as though you're kind of, it's not random designs, but they're related to the artwork of albums of music uh, and musicians that you really like. So can you tell us a little bit about the concept of Wawa? Yeah. So like, as I mentioned earlier, um, I studied fashion design and when I went into the industry, I was sort of on a trajectory to have a more typical fashion career, either sort of designing for a bigger design house or launching a brand that sort of did everything like a high-end fashion brand and I tried to do that for a bit but I just hated it um so uh Wawa is kind of my response to that like sort of taking a break and thinking about what would be the ideal brand that sort of ticks all the boxes for me personally like with one foot in the music world one foot in the fashion world um in a medium that I love which is knitwear which is a bit of a unique um, market in itself. But the initial concept for it, I mean, the idea had been ruminating in the background of my mind for many, many years. I read a book in high school called Our Band Could Be Your Life by Michael Azarad, and it sort of uh, documents a bunch of bands from like the US punk scene in the 80s. Um, And in that there was this image of um, Jay Mascus from Dinosaur Jr. But back in the days when he was in a band called Deep Wound and he's wearing this hand-knitted sweater, uh, it says Deep Wound on it and it's kind of got like this splattered blood design around it and his mother had hand-knitted it for him when he was in high school and I just, I don't know, it really resonated with me, this punk band then like, you know, in a knitted sweater form, like it's just two worlds colliding that shouldn't. It's like a punk um, mum. Pardon? It's like a punk mum. Yeah. <laughs> that that it, did that sweater. So cool it's so uncool. Um, yeah, so I, I think that was like the initial inspiration. And um, so when I started the brand, um, 
yeah, it was more just like a fun project, fun, very expensive project because knitwear costs a fortune to develop. But um, yeah, I sort of just wanted to see how it went. And I told a few people the idea and they're like, that that's crazy. You can't start a brand doing that. But I was like, no, no, I think it'll resonate with some people. Um, so yeah, it just, you know, slow and steady took off, but now that's what I do full time. I think that's so cool that you were able to merge. You kind of went to, to studied fashion, then you're in a band and then you kind of just put those two things together. (laughs) Well, I wasn't even in a band at that point. I just, you know, have always loved music. And when I was uh, a teenager up until my mid twenties, I did play trumpet in a band in Wollongong. Um, but yeah, hadn't played music for ages. So it was partly also a way to sort of connect with the music I love and reach out to musicians and artists and just bring it all together. You mentioned the idea of kind of rejecting the, I guess, a traditional pathway of working for like a large fashion company. Um, and I guess one of the, one of the hottest words linked to fashion at the moment is sustainability. Uh, but that's also a word that is very complicated. Um, very. <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about maybe the values underpinning Wawa and tell us about uh, sustainable fashion in 2021? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can talk about it from my perspective. Like the fashion industry is is horrible. <laughs> um, it's right. one of the like most polluting industries in the world. Um, and so if I'm going to be contributing to the fashion industry, it's important for me to do it as well as I can. And it's always like, it's a constant process of trying to better, um, the materials used. And that could be like the materials in the jumper, making it more traceable, or even just the way it's packaged and sent out, or even the way, uh, the stock gets sent to me from the manufacturer, like a lot of brands, I mean, the term greenwashing, I'm sure you've heard of, like Mm. most of the fashion industry is saying things are organic and sustainable and this and that. And it's, it's all rubbish, most of it. But there are small brands and big brands that are truly making an effort. So for me, that means, I mean, knitwear is quite sustainable if you're doing a certain type of knitwear. So I do what you call fully fashion knitwear now. I didn't originally when I started. So that means close to zero wastage of fabrics rather than cut and sew. Sorry, this is getting technical. Um, but it's that's also what, That's what we're here for. <laughs> also about choosing the right yarns as well. So I'm trying to do 100% super fine merino, which is a really sustainable fibre. Um, so no man-made fibres in it. And, yeah, so like the product is sustainable, um, but, of course, that means it's more expensive to make. So it's sort of like... It's been a process of trying to gently educate the customers as well because, I mean, when I first launched, there was so much resistance to the price, which in hindsight now is no surprise. Like if I launch a style with the punk band, the hard-ons, it's not all that surprising that their fan base are like, what the hell, $250 for a sweater. Um, But that was an interesting learning curve. But I think people now like, you know, just sort of explaining that, you know, there's the best part of a kilo of wool in this and the time it takes to manufacture and sample, that's that's why it costs what it does. So that's, I mean, that's my approach to sustainability. Um, But I've also been making a real effort to source like bags, like garment bags that dissolve in hot water and just make sure all the packaging's recyclable, things like that. Right. 
when you I wanted to talk about the wool a little bit more. Did yes. you say super fine? Uh yeah, so it just wool? means the quality of the wool, like it's a, a very soft wool. Right. So is that because it's all like a natural product and there's not like polyester or whatever mixed into it? Is that why it's like a sustainable type of wool? Well, all wool, if it is wool from a sheep, is sustainable. Um, The practices behind that that happen at the farm, that's, you know, you hope that the farms have sustainable practices and most are really transparent about that, but sometimes it is hard to find out the information. But, um, yeah, most jumpers, like if you were shopping Zara or one of those high street brands, you're very unlikely to get 100% merino. Um, it's usually a mix of acrylic, nylon, polyester, things like that, maybe with a tiny bit of wool or mohair or something in it. Um, so, yeah, it's it's expensive what I do, but because I sell directly to the customers, you know, it still doesn't sound cheap, but if it were selling on a website, if I, wholesale, if I was wholesaling, that'd be over $500. So, um, right. And that's in line with, like, if you go on one of those luxury websites and look for um, 100% merino jumpers, that's how much they cost. And the truth is that's that's just how much it does cost to make, which a lot of people aren't used to knowing the true cost behind production, mm. um, especially if you're a small brand and not doing hundreds and hundreds of units as well. Like sometimes the more you produce, the price can come down a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah, I guess when you're doing it on a small scale like that where you're not making thousands and thousands, you don't have the kind of economies of scale that help to to factor the price down. Yeah, that's true. However, with like what I'm doing, because um, it's out of the merino wool, the price is in the cost of the wool. So the production oh. just might come down a little bit, but it's still you're paying for best part of a kilo of wool. So it's never going to be a cheap product. Right. Okay. So on the website, there's quite a few different um, sweaters available with different kind of album art and artworks. I very much had my eye on the Silver Chair Frog Stomp one. <laughs> um, so how do you go about contacting the artist or how does it work as a, like a collaborative process between their artwork and you turning it into a super fine merino wool sweater? <laughs> um, you're learning so much here. It's yeah, great. I've taken notes. So. Thank you. Um, so each collaboration has been totally different. Like in some cases, it's actually the band that reaches out to me. So actually Dinosaur Jr. got in touch with me, which was a real head spin of a moment because Jay Mascus was the inspiration for the brand. Um, I thought it was a prank when I got that email. <laughs> they wanted to design something featuring their album artwork. So they sort of, you know, the label had the the rights to all the album artwork so I just pitched a few ideas so that made it really easy in terms of licensing but in other cases um, it's a lot of me trying to find a contact or a friend who knows someone to introduce me or I just like reach out through websites and just tell them the idea Um, but yeah each one is totally different Um, yeah okay well yeah we will definitely put the link to the website um in the podcast description so everyone can go and check out all the amazing wares on the Wawa website.
It is time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics, and I ask you to choose one of the topics and tell us something about it. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, Patti Smith, punk rock, death, and politics. So, Kayleen, can you please tell us a thing? I'm going to tell you about musical equipment. Okay. Uh, And I want to tell you how intimidating it can be when you're sort of entering uh, a new musical project and you're not a gearhead and there's all these different pedals to choose from. It can be really, really overwhelming. So I play trumpet in a band called Pure Mass. They're like a kind of noise doom band and uh, it's been a really fun experience to take an instrument like the trumpet, which I'm actually classically trained on, not that I play very well these days because I never practice, but, um, yeah, and then be able to play it in a totally new way by affecting it uh, with different sorts of pedals. But that said, uh, knowing where to start is totally overwhelming and it's really nice to be in a band where the guitarist has a million pedals and is willing to lend you everything uh, to try out and just have the space to experiment with them so I now run my trumpet through four different pedals while I'm playing so uh an electro harmonic synth nine pedal so I can make the trumpet sound like some really amazing synthesizer sounds um just a delay pedal a harmonizer pedal that means I can sort of harmonize with myself at a different pitch and also a ditto pedal so uh I can loop things and layer things so, yeah, it's been really cool to um, be able to explore that. Do they do they use guitar pedals in Pure Mass? <laughs> no, they it, do. They totally do. It's kind of a joke. I'm like, is that a serious It's a joke for people who would have to know, have heard the music before. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, it's cool that you can uh, kind of ease your way into it with help. Have you found that you kind of, once you had a play with like a couple you started to fall down a rabbit hole and catch the bug of wanting to tweak more and get different sounds and uh, explore different brands? Or did you just find this works and that's it? That's all I need. Um, I've been experimenting a little bit, but pedals are so expensive. That's um, true. So I, I've had the luxury of being able to try out almost every pedal on the market because, like I said, the guitarist has hundreds of them. But no, for me, like I, I still feel like there's so much to explore in those four that I'm using. I don't think I'm using them to their full potential. Um, so I haven't fallen down that trap, but I've seen okay. many who have fallen down that trap. Sure. You know, I think, I mean, pedals are expensive, but I kind of feel like maybe there's a parallel between that and sustainable fashion in that you can probably buy, I mean, a, a generic, like, I mean, you could buy like a Boss Distortion pedal for not that much. Uh, but if you go to like a, a kind of smaller, unique brand that's making sort of unique sounds and maybe they're handmade in like a factory rather than by a machine, then that kind of adds to the price of these kind of obscure, unique, not necessarily sustainable, but more kind of lovingly made pedals. And yeah, I mean, good. anything made on a small scale is usually pretty sustainable mm. uh less wasted usually and only making what there's a need for rather than overproducing but yeah i mean someone like tim's guitars like they do amazing small runs of pedals and 
yeah. you're getting something pretty unique. And it also means it you can get a sound that not everyone has necessarily. So I can see the appeal in that too. The brand that I love, which maybe you should check out if you're interested, is a brand from America, from Ohio, called Earthquaker Devices. Hmm. And they got massive. Like they're in every music store, but they still maintain that every pedal is made by hand. Wow, that's cool. Like they have these really strong principles about quality and, um, yeah, it's a really cool company. Very cool. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the podcast because there's no sponsors, <laughs> but if we were going to get one, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, cool. Well, Kayleen, thank you so much. That was a very interesting chat. We sort of spoke about music and fashion and the kind of intersection between the two. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of 2SER 107.3.